Perhaps the doom and gloom is starting to clear. Virgin Australia's future is starting to look a little bit brighter and we're all looking forward to getting out and about as coronavirus restrictions start to ease. Qantas is boosting its domestic flights. There's been some more good news this week for the cruise sector and also some positive hotel updates. I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper. And this is Travel Daily News on the Fly. So Bruce, there's a lot of interest in Virgin Australia with the shortlist of bidders whittled down to just two finalists this week. Who are they and when can we expect to see the airline relaunch? That's the billion dollar question. Well, multi-billion dollars actually. And the answer from everyone at Virgin and among the Deloitte administrators would have to be as soon as possible. The airline's still operating, but only a very limited schedule with government funding to maintain some domestic connectivity but it's in administration, obviously, and understood to be fast running out of cash. I think that's why the sale process is being pushed along so hard, with some pretty tough deadlines for the bidders who've been you know, working like crazy to get their offers in, and who, as you said, have now been cut down to a final two preferred companies. So who are they and what are they offering? They're both private equity companies and they're hoping to be able to invest some of their billions of dollars to get Virgin up in the air. Bain Capital is a big American investment fund which has got more than $100 billion in assets and they've got some pretty big hitters along with their bid. I think you'd have to say they're the front runners, uh, including former Jetstar CEO Jane Hoodlicker, who before she worked for Jetstar and then more recently were at A2 Milk, she was actually a management consultant with Bain They've promised a return to a more bare-bones, virgin blue type model, saying they want to put the fun back into flying, but also, you know, they've still got a lounge network, so it'll be a bit of a hybrid, but definitely only domestic and regional operations initially. Perhaps a return to international some way off. The other bidder is a US group called Cyrus Capital Partners, and we don't know much about them, about their particular bid, but they've worked pretty closely with Virgin, the human headline, Sir Richard Branson, on a number of deals in the past, including the launch of Virgin America, and more recently, last year they were part of a consortium, I think it was called Connect, which took over the British carrier Flyby, unfortunately only lasting about a year before recently going into administration due to the COVID-19 downturn. The other thing is we don't really have much detail about their offers at this stage or what they're planning for the airline. And interestingly, under the bidding framework laid out by Deloitte, they weren't allowed to negotiate with creditors. So that's kept a pretty light, tight lid on things. But it also means I don't know that how accurate their indicative bids are, but they have to now firm them up. So when is it likely to all be finalised? Well, the deadline for final binding offers, I believe, is the end of next week. Uh, and Deloitte says they'll announce the winner by the end of the month. But it's all pretty unclear, and particularly there's no indication at this stage of how many Virgin staff might get their jobs back, what routes might get started up, or how much the billions of dollars worth of creditors uh, might receive. But in the meantime, travel demand does seem to be starting to ramp up as states ease their restrictions. So if Virgin does get back on its feet and exits administration, it's going to be a really busy time getting operations going again. So on that subject, what's happening with the domestic flight market? When will we be able to start travelling across the country again? Well, pretty soon, by all indications, uh, Qantas yesterday announced that it would be increasing its capacity in, I think, June and July to about 15% of what it was before all this disaster hit, which doesn't sound like much, but it's three times what it's been operating over the last month or so, and that's about 300 additional return flights every week flown by Qantas and Jetstar. I'm very sure Qantas wouldn't be making that sort of announcement without a fairly clear spike in forward booking, so I'm sure they've got some insight into you know some early shoots of recovery, and I guess that's what you'd have to expect even from the VFR market, where there's got to be a huge amount of pent-up demand with people wanting to see relatives in other states and territories. But 
having said that, it's still pretty restricted. Um, New South Wales and Victoria opened up this week. So Sydney to Melbourne is going to particularly see more frequencies. Canberra's, you know, got the doors open. But the uncertainty of border openings is definitely causing problems for the not just the airlines, but the, the wider industry, because we just can't plan. There was an interesting statement from Australian Regional Tourism this week, um, which urged people to be understanding uh, when they're out and about, you know, trying cafes, accommodation, etc., just to understand the pressures that businesses are now under, and particularly in Queensland, where they were put, caught pretty much flat-footed by a government backflip on reopenings. The Premier, I think, you know, kept saying, you know, they were going to keep a really tight lid on things, and uh, indicating there wouldn't be a restart for a couple of weeks at least, but then all of a sudden dropping restrictions in time for the long weekend. Look, naturally, everyone wants to see things open up as soon as possible, but I think if we had a bit more certainty from the government about a timetable, that would be really helpful. The June issue of Travel Bulletin is out now. In this month's cover story, we asked, what is the future of AFTA? Jason Westbury was the most visible face of the organisation and his resignation has left the industry reeling. On top of that, the AFTA chargeback scheme is on hibernation and there's no income for the organisation for the next year. So where to next for AFTA? That plus more in this month's edition. Visit travelbulletin.com.au to read. So last week we talked about the local expedition cruising being part of the domestic relaunch of travel. Are there any updates on that and what else is happening sort of in the world of cruise? Unfortunately, there's no further clarity about the status of cruising. Um, The latest government advisory um, from a couple of weeks ago continuing to mandate against any international ships in local waters until I think it's the 17th of September. So we're definitely still in a wait and see phase there. However, there was some good longer-term news yesterday when Silver Sea announced its plans for 2021-22 over, over that summer period, which is going to see them put two of their international fleet uh, to home port out of Australia. Have they ever done that before? No, it's the first time, and I think it's a pretty big deal given that the two ships they've allocated are the flagship, Silver Muse. It's about 600 passengers. She's been here for a couple of seasons now, but also the slightly smaller Silver Shadow, which has just undergone a huge makeover. Um, I think they call it Project Invictus. You know, it's a, it's a very, you know, top-to-tail refurbishment. I think it's a combination of things. For one, uh, by then, surely we will be back cruising. So it's a pretty safe bet in terms of deployment. And also, the ships being a little bit smaller than some of the, you know, the mega ships of the, the other brands, they've got a bit more flexibility about the ports where they go. It's great news for the local industry and for, particularly for places like Geelong, uh, which I think is being added to the itineraries. And I think it'll definitely boost confidence in cruising among the wider market. Uh, the launch is initially only open to members of the Silver Sea Loyalty Program, but I think they're going to open it up to general sale in a couple of weeks. It's just really good to see you know, an announcement like that looking forward to some normality rather than the, the deluge of cancellations that everyone's been dealing with. And what's happening with cancellations? When are we going to see a return to cruising? Well, unfortunately, still no good news on that score, I'm afraid. Um, In fact, Canada this week extended the closure of its waters to cruise shipping right out to the beginning of November. And that basically puts a kibosh on the whole Canada, Alaska and New England cruise season for this year. You know, it it looks like the whole of 2020 is a write-off, at least when it comes to cruising in that part of the world. At the start of the week, we also saw Viking extend its temporary pause of global cruise operations through to the end of August, and that applies to both ocean and river cruises. It's very sensible, but yeah, still pretty disappointing. 
And amid all of this, the cruise lines are starting to roll out details of their policies and procedures to tackle life post-COVID. It was interesting to see Norwegian this week, their policy, they're going to particularly install new HEPA air filtering, which is the same thing that the aircraft operators are saying, you know, that's why there's minimal transmission of COVID on planes because of these medical grade filtering. And so the cruise lines are starting to put that in as well. And I'm sure we'll see some overall industry guidance from Clear on this soon. I guess the other side of it is we've all got to remember that the cruise lines are still dealing with massive logistical challenges. They've got ships parked all around the world. Um, This week, the US Centers for Disease Control finally released some guidance for operators as to how they can start start to get crew off the ships because they reckon there's about 60,000 poor crew members still stuck on board ships um, and they're not allowed to get off. And in some cases, they're not even being paid. So it's, you know, it's a bit premature, perhaps, to talk about a return when for the cruise lines, the crisis is still ongoing. Interestingly, these new CDC procedures will classify ships using a traffic light system. Basically, if you've had no COVID infections on board among the crew for 28 days, then you're a green ship and you're able to relax things a bit and you can also get crew off on commercial flights. Um, It's a huge issue, but I guess the cruise lines are used to dealing with huge issues. And um, Viking chairman Torsten Hagen was pretty upbeat in an update when he was talking about their extended cancellation. But he said since starting the line 23 years ago, Viking had faced a lot of challenges and had merged stronger every time. Let's hope that's true for the wider cruise industry. And I believe there's been a little bit of movement in the accommodation sector locally. What's happening there? Yeah, look, again, it's nice to have a bit of uh, some you know, positive news, some normal announcements coming out. This week, we saw Langham Hotels announce that they were going to manage a new hotel, which will be their third Langham branded property in Australia on the Gold Coast. And we also saw Intercontinental Hotels Group announce its seventh uh, Voco branded. It's a sort of a funky youth focused brand in Melbourne. So, you know, that's great to see that there is still investment going on and we're not sort of in this coronavirus paralysis. So to wrap things up, it's now a couple of weeks since Jason Westbury resigned as AFTA CEO. What's happening there? Are things sort of starting to settle down? Well, I'm still a bit shell-shocked. I'm sure a lot of the industry is. But by all accounts, the AFTA board has stepped up and particularly Chairman Tom Mannering is busier than a bee in a bottle, pushing the industry's position, engaging with Canberra, and particularly, I believe, arguing for an extension of the JobKeeper scheme, um, You know, highlighting that travel was the first to be affected when they closed the borders and it's going to be the last to exit because until those international borders open and you know we can return to normality, uh, things are going to be pretty tight. So they certainly seem to have steadied the ship and are also proceeding with a recruitment process for a replacement for Jason. And there's hopes that someone might be appointed as soon as sometime next month. As far as the bigger issue that some people raised of where to now for after, well, that's something we've looked at in the latest issue of Travel Bulletin, which came out this week. We got Steve Jones, well known as a travel industry expert and commentator, to put together a great story. Um, He's got views from right across you know, all sides of the industry about the future of AFTA, and it's a great read. We're also not printing Travel Bulletin at the moment, so it's available for free as a download. You can check it out at travelbulletin.com.au. Great. I'm going to check that out now. And also a big thanks to Travel Bulletin for sponsoring this episode. Well, thanks for listening. Keep up to date with your daily newsletters from Travel Daily and Cruise Weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for your weekly run through of all the latest travel industry news. We'll be back next week with more news on the fly.